The past two years have been a blur. So many decisions have been made and even more compromises. We have no choice but to compromise. We have compromised on our online classes. We compromised by working at home. We compromised on our worship services. And in many cases, we compromised on ourselves. Our joy is not what it used to be. Our faith is no longer as vibrant as it once was. And our hope for normalcy flickers and dims. In our weakness and depression and loneliness, we sometimes dare ask. We sometimes dare think. Is God still with us? Is he still faithful? Is he able to save us once and for all? And as we gradually doubt, so our identity in God gradually crumbles. Praying becomes a chore. Reading the Bible becomes mundane. And worshiping God becomes dry and tasteless. We begin to forget ourselves. We begin to forget God in our decisions. We begin to study, work, and live as if God did not exist, as if our faith did not exist. And before we know it, we have become exiled in our own homes, exiled from our schools, from our workplaces, and even from our loved ones, exiled from our faith. We have been expelled from the truth, from the reality that we are His and He is ours. And today our passage has something to teach us on what it's like to be exiled, on what it means to still have hope when things seem hopeless. Today's passage is Daniel 3, the story of Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It is a story of courage, of sacrifice, faith, and ultimately of hope. So allow me today to share it with you. Allow God's word to renew you once again to the trials of our days. Our story begins in ancient Babylon, around 600 to 500 BC. And in those days, the Babylonian Empire was the mightiest empire the world has ever seen. Its armies were in the tens of thousands. Its land stretched from the Gulf of Persia all until the Mediterranean Sea. Babylon was a fertile crescent. It was a lush, green empire with vegetation all around it. It began a period of cultural renaissance in a time of Nebuchadnezzar, beautiful and lavish works of architecture were made, all from the towering ziggurats to the elusive hanging gardens. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And the city of Babylon itself was a wonder. It housed 200,000 people, the largest city in the world, the first city in history to reach that milestone. It was the greatest city in the world. It was the largest city in the world, in the mightiest empire of the world. But it wasn't home. Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were captives of war. Jerusalem was in ruins, ravaged, ravished, and ransacked. There were exiles in Babylon, in the mightiest, most powerful city in the world. But it wasn't home. They were exiles. How could they have stayed strong when Jerusalem was in embers? How could they remain faithful when they recall the screams of those who were slaughtered? How can God still remain faithful to them when his temple was burnt to the ground? 
Is God still with us? Is he still faithful? Is he able to save us once and for all? Fortunately, in the past two chapters, Daniel and his friends gained the king's favor and rose in rank. But everything was still until it was not. Trouble brews again for our exiles when the king decides to make a golden image. And King Nebuchadnezzar made the golden image, whose height was 60 cubits and whose width was 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent for the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to assemble and come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, prefects, and all the other officials of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the image that the king had set up. When they were standing before the image that the king had set up, the herald proclaimed out loud, You are commanded, O people, nation, and language, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and the entire musical ensemble, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that the king had set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, and the entire musical ensemble, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that the king had set up. We recognize the foreboding construction of the golden image. Even the very word, image, Talem in Hebrew, resonate with us with another tale. One rather rare instance when the word Talem was used was in Genesis. In Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our Talem, our image, after our likeness. You see, to make an image is to create something in one's likeness. It carries the essence of what it represents. To worship an idol or the image is to worship the deity behind it. And we recall in no uncertain words that Jews were not supposed to make idols or images or worship any of these idols and images. And now we hear, see, King Nebuchadnezzar, in the height of his power, still not satisfied with his riches, his power, and fame, seeks to be a god. And like God, he makes an image after his own likeness and commands everyone to fall down and worship him. We are not told where Daniel was during this instance, but what was clear that our Jewish heroes had a lot of enemies. And accordingly, at this time, certain Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the hornpipe and the entire musical ensemble shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of their province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These pay no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods and do not serve the golden image that you have set up. Many native Chaldeans hated these Jews. They hated that they rose to office. They hated that they were promoted over their heads. So they've been slowly biding their time to strike, to scandalize and sabotage these foreign Jews. And now, 
an opportunity arises, their faith. The inflexibility of their monogamous faith. Now is the time to gain the king's favor by revealing the treachery of this Jewish menace. Their faith was their weakness. And now was the time to pounce and devour them whole. So they told the king, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. And King Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, and you do not worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe lyre, and the entire musical ensemble, to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? And in his rage, King Nebuchadnezzar could not understand why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would defy him. Was it not because of his benevolence, his kingly generosity, that he elevated them above all others? Why do they dare defy him now? Why do they insult him? by spitting upon the image that he has built? Why have they been so ungrateful for all that he had done for them, for all that Babylon had done for them? Did they not know who he was? Did they not know who they were defying? And in his kingly benevolence, he gave them a chance to repent, a chance to change their minds, a chance to worship the image or be thrown into the blazing furnace. What God can possibly deliver you out of my hands? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hands, O king, let him deliver us. In the face of certain death, our three friends defy the proud king. What God that can possibly deliver us from your hands? Our God is able. Our God whom we serve is able. Let him deliver us. But what if? What if he does not? What if our lives end here? What if our bodies will be consumed in the blink of an eye, in inexplicable agony? What if the, lay, the flames would lick us bone dry in excruciating pain? Burning through flesh, sinew, muscle, tissue, and bone, and all that remain will be ashes. They must have thought, I don't want to be burned alive. I don't want to die in this foreign land. Is God still with us? Is he still faithful? Is he able to save us once and for all? Why were we even placed here in exile? Why were we even placed under the mercy of tyrants and under the mercy of the enemies of God? Why must we now face death for our faith? Nevertheless, even if our lives can be taken, even if our bodies can be destroyed and desecrated, even if we experience sorrow upon sorrow, death upon death, our freedom can never be taken. Our choice can never be made for us. When we walk into the valley of the shadow of death, 
when we walk into the very flames of the inferno, what remains and what shall remain is our faith, our faith in God. And the three friends said, But if not, if we will not be saved, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, and we will not worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that his face was distorted. He ordered the furnace be heated up seven times more than what was customary. He ordered some of the strongest guards in the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, and their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Because the king's command was urgent, the furnace was so overheated that the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Let's take a moment to to pause from our story and allow me to ask you this. If God is so good, why did he allow our three friends to be thrown into the furnace? Why didn't he stop the Bukadnitsar there and then before he threw them into the furnace? Why did he allow our three friends to experience the, the fear, the terror, the sheer panic of being bound? Why did he allow them to take step by step stride by stride, closer and closer to the hungry hellfires of the furnace? Why was this situation so unfair? Why did he have to be exiled and, and be foreigners in a land, in a world that did not respect their faith or did not respect them? A world that tried every single thing to devour them, to destroy them, and to desolate them. Why did God place them in such a difficult situation? Is God still with us? Is He still faithful? Is He able to save us once and for all? Let us reflect on these questions as we resume our story. But then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up quickly, and he said to his counselors, Was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? They answered the king, True, O king. He replied, But I see four men unbound walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the fort has the appearance of a god. There is no suggestion here or elsewhere in Scripture that all Christians will be safe against all forms of trouble, suffering, and evil. All of us shall one day face the flames, or perhaps you are facing the flames today. Perhaps you have tasted death in the family, Perhaps you have stared into the very abyss and it shook the very foundations of your soul. And perhaps your furnace is a wildfire of temptation all around you, around your workplace, your home, or those around you. Or maybe you don't find it hard to be a Christian. Perhaps you have already fallen down and worshipped the golden image. Perhaps you are no longer a person in exile. Or maybe you have succumbed and become the very thing you should have stood up against. Regardless of where you are, there's a fourth person. Who was the fourth person? 
in the very words of the king Nebuchadnezzar, who viewed himself a god, ironically confessed, wait, I see a fourth man, and he has the appearance of a god. Even when we are in the flames, we are not alone. There is a fourth person. More often than not, our faith is geometrically opposed to the world. You have always been spiritually exiled, separated from God, from the reality that you are His and He is yours, separated from the belief that God is faithful despite what the world says or despite what the world is like separated from the confidence that even in times of tragedy, in times of pure, malevolent evil, you can still act in faith. Because there is still hope for you and for me. Because in the flames, it finally dawns upon all those things that oppose your faith, whether these are tyrants, temptations, peer pressure, cultural and social influences, money, pride, sin, and the spiritual forces of evil, it dawns upon all these things that there is a God who can deliver you out of their hands. And our three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, walk out unscathed, unburnt, unsinged. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of the blazing fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. Their hair on their heads was not singed. Their tunics were unharmed. Not even the smell of fire came upon them. And Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that utters blasphemy against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. It all began with a foreign king pronouncing the worship of his own image. And now it ends with a foreign king pronouncing that no one shall ever utter blasphemy against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Is God still with us? Is he still faithful? Is he able to save us once and for all? Yes, he is. He is. There is a vision that transforms, a vision of our hope in exile. In today's story, these three friends demonstrated how to retain your identity, your faith, your hope in exile. They showed the sacrifices that you have to make for your faith in exile. They showed us that it is worth it to act in faith, to act in courage, to act in sacrifice for faith for God. And my hope is through our story today, we will recognize that. 
we will recognize that knowing God and ourselves empowers us to face exile with faith, courage, and truth despite life's tragic reality. Does that mean we will always be delivered from our troubles? No. Let me repeat that. Does that mean we will always be delivered from our troubles? No. Our three friends were still thrown into the furnace. They still had enemies all around them, and they were still in exile. And we too are not exempted from life's tragic reality. All of us have been burnt, marred, lacerated, and wounded. We are still exiled, but we are not defeated. We are still exiled, but we can choose faith. Being faithful to God will not always end up in deliverance, but we are called to act in faith anyway because it is good. And I do sincerely believe that good shall come out of it, whether in this lifetime or next. And when things get hard and we begin to doubt again, when our joy and faith is not as vibrant as it once was, when our hope again dims and flickers in our weakness and our depression and loneliness, remember, remember the Son of God who stands with us in the flames. Remember the Son of God who stands with us when no one else will. Remember the cross. The Son of God who was not delivered from his agony. The Son of God who, unlike us, was abandoned by his Father. The Son of God who suffered so that we could be delivered. As we rebel against the suffering of the world, we proclaim a profound truth that regardless of what life throws at us, regardless of all the sorrow and despair and regardless of how exiled we are, God is still with us. God is still faithful. And you are still His and He is still yours. And in exile, you can act in faith, in courage, and in sacrifice, because knowing God in ourselves empowers us to face exile with faith, with courage and truth, despite life's tragic reality. And I hope we can all have faith within the flames. I hope we can all confidently say, He is faithful. He can deliver us. And even if He does not, He is still good. Let us pray. Father, grant us faith within the flames. Grant us courage in our exile. Grant us the presence of your steadfast love. Deliver us from the evil today. Deliver us from the evil within. Deliver us from the flames. And even if, even if not, Lord, let us believe that you are still good. May we believe that and help us believe that. In Jesus' name, amen.